Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. Now on Drama on One, in the wings, and in this week's edition, we'll hear from writer Dermot Bulger, director Ethna Hand, actors Dunica Crowley, Helen Roach, and Tatiana Uliankina. They're discussing Dermot's play Morning Coffee, which is next week's Drama on One. My name is Dermot Bulger. Hi, I'm Helen Roach. My name is Dunica Crowley. My name is Tatiana Uliankina. My name is Ethna Hand. I play John in Morning Coffee by Dermot Bulger. It's about a couple. John and Julia, married a long time, who suddenly have a a visitor. She comes from a Protestant background and he comes from a Catholic background. And it's set just outside Kilkenny. And um, Donica Crowley plays John. I play Julia. And Eamon Morrissey plays the stranger who comes and there's a long long conversation. I play Karolina, so she's Polish, I think, Polish cleaner. I play cleaner, so. My play is about how the fact that um, many, many times in recent years, victims have tracked down their perpetrators. But I, I thought it would be interesting to have a perpetrator track down a victim and the victim to be somebody who who is a self-made man, somebody who began as the son of an agricultural labourer, who who is totally powerless, who is now a respectable farmer in Kilkenny with 190 acres, who simply refuses to be a victim again, who refuses to engage in any way with a perpetrator. And, and to have a perpetrator who is fully cognizant of his guilt and wants to make amends, and to have somebody who simply says, no, you cannot make amends. All you can do is walk away and take this to the grave with you. And so it's about how certain wounds need to be expressed in public and need to be healed in public. And certain people want certain things to remain private. And when I got the script, first of all, I read it with Michael Murphy and we sat on the couch and um, we read it out loud. And we were both at the end of it going, like that's kind of the feeling you get after listening to this. John is a farmer who's been married for many years. He's two grown-up children moved out. But he has, uh, he has some interesting old secrets. This caller turns up at the door and uh, basically upsets the whole apple cart. I, I was just taken by the, taken by the characters, really. I just became part of their story. I thought it was beautifully written, to be honest. I never done radio work. Suddenly this woman, Carolina, that was written on the paper... Suddenly she's come to life. She has a voice and it's my voice. Or the other main character, she speaks. So this woman's kind of established here. So now this person has your voice. So you kind of create here by your voice. Wow, I love it. It feels like it should be on the radio because it's got this internal house feel to it. Most people listen to radio plays in some sort of an internal house feeling. And even if they're you know, traveling, they have this image. They can clearly be inside a kind of a country farmhouse. So even though we're not traveling to outer space or doing extraordinary intergalactic things and radio obviously can do all of that. This is about the words. I love the words in it. I think there's really good, strong writing in it. It's an internalized story. You, it makes you think within yourself. So that's what radio can do so well as well. So it's not, you know, crash, bang, wallop. It's it's intense and it's a moment that I think people will just come to and stay with. I mean, I do think it's got a lot of, of staying power. 
it's not a memory play. It, it, it isn't. It isn't. It's 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 a dramatic encounter. This is a lively play. This is a this is a heated conversation. This is a probing and a, a begging and a pleading and a refusing and an arguing, and then uh, then a very intimate conversation between husband and wife, not not explicit but um, putting things right and um, consolidating. It's a memory play uh, for the audience, especially you get thrown back to the past. You know the idea from the play. It comes off those very, very quiet couple, and I had a couple, it's a mixed marriage, and I just love the notion of a, of somebody who's gone from being the son of an agricultural labourer, whose father would be called the boy, even though the father would be 70 or 80 years of age, to remaking himself uh, as a strong farmer, and also to marrying into a Protestant family, and those hidden tensions that still exist in rural Ireland between a farm that was a Catholic farm, a farm that was a Protestant farm, and so somebody who actually has to- has really, really sculpted a new version of himself and is kind and humane, and just doesn't want to engage with the past and wants to be free of the past, and some and who sees somebody coming into his life as a threat because he brings the past with him, and in some ways the person he once was is now dead. Oh, I'm, I mulled over at the casting because that's kind of what you, you should do. But I liked the fact that they were two, like, let's say, men in their 70s, the two, the, the main two characters. But I was also really interested in the woman character, who's the wife. There is quite a, a strong feminine sense to it in the sense that the house is feminine. This is a house that was passed down to her that is, uh, you know, her family house and it has ghosts in it from, from her background. So it's not it's not just a male feeling to this place. So I was really thinking about now this woman has to be a strong character because in some ways she has saved the main male character and she's also going to make this a continuum. She's going to be able to continue after this moment of uh, unexpected outburst happens. I got into the business um, by accident, almost. I had been in a musical society in Aer Lingus when I worked there. And when it folded up, I didn't know what to do with my evenings because that had become my social life. And somebody told me about a drama society and I thought, no, 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 I wouldn't be on for that at all. And they said, oh, well, I'll bring you down and introduce you to some people. They, they're a good crack too, you know. And I did. And I, I went in and I said, no, I'm not here for any particular purpose, I will paint the scenery or prompt or do something like that. Um, so I started prompting. And as luck would have it, <laughs> somebody from the play, with a small part in the play, dropped out at the last minute. And I've been having been the prompter, <laughs> I was the only one who knew the line. So I ended up going on. And I do remember that I got such a fright the first night at the audience with the full house, full-ish house, uh, that I said my first line and then went completely blank for the other three. <laughs> and it sort of, that happened a few times, really. Uh, my picture was in the paper after that because we, we had cute sort of Gigi costumes. And my school uh, had a past pupils dramatic society that I never knew anything about. They saw the picture in the paper and went, oh, let's give her a call. She might join us. And I did. And before very long, I was hooked. And then I went to Brendan Smith's Academy and eventually graduated from there and so on. I'm from Moscow, Russia. Four major colleges, uh, drama colleges in Moscow. And it's all Stanislavsky techniques. So we learned Stanislavsky from beginning till the... So they teach us how to be alone on the stage, build the fourth wall and then 
how to feel organic, comfortable, then start speaking, then do the plays, and it's always Chekhov. And then we did a lot of Oscar Wilde. We did Bernard Shaw. That was before I came to Ireland. So it's very popular. Irish, uh, obviously, playwriters are very popular in the theatre in Russia. I, I got into acting as, as, as a child, school play kind of thing. I remember uh, they got what they wanted. It's an old Abbey play, actually. I was in Farron Ferris, and you just got called out. But you got to do rehearsals in the priest's uh, quarters, in, which were very luxurious to me. There was a roaring fire, there was tobacco smoke, and I remember being told to put down that rabble and come and open the book at page twenty-nine. You know, so it was it was kind of a, the school was good like that culturally. A few a few of the teachers used to to play us comedy and Mihalmok Liamor and uh, funny records and I write poems, plays, and novels, but essentially I'm just a storyteller. And when a character comes to you, when a voice comes to you, you know very quickly, is this going to be a novel? Am I going to tell the totality of the story and build the whole background world? Poems are just like a hundred metre sprint because they're just, they're, they're quiet on own occasion. But, but plays are much more expansive. And drama allows the voices to speak. They just allow, allow everything to happen in the words and the reader to fill in that background world. So drama is very, very exciting and it's a very liberating thing because it's literally just the characters talk and then the reader, the listener, the viewer fills in everything else of that world. At the moment I'm writing poetry, which was a bit of a surprise to me in the last um, 10 or 15 years, but I've just published a first collection with Salmon called Fox Trousers. And I'm kind of really excited about that because that's so new and it happened during lockdown and we're all dealing with that. But yeah, the words really matter to me and and they've always mattered to me. So when this when you come across a script like this where you can see the words have been properly kind of gathered and tended and put into the right places, um, it, it's, it, it makes it all the stronger. But they're popular because they are geniuses. It's uh, incredible talent there and uh, everything Oscar Wilde said they, it's been now very modern because it's just so true whatever he says his little uh, aphorisms and that people still use and Bernard Shaw is so wise and so deep it's very cool and James Joyce as well so it's all it's just it's like centuries doesn't matter it's all on going after I left, uh, I wasn't quite sure what to do. I was uh, I was supposed to go to UCC. I, I had uh, a lot of things prepared in terms of I had little scholarships won and my old school friends from, from Ballinlock and Turner's Cross and all these people, they were all going off to UCC to do arts and I should have uh, I should have joined them. But instead, I got some kind of a brainstorm and I decided to go to Maynooth and I spent a few years there and uh, then I broke out of there. Yeah, well, yes, studying for the priesthood. I, 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 you, you did a BA first, or a BSc. I did a BA, and uh, you kind of spent more time than a kid needs to do. I think uh, tangling with authority. It was kind of post Vatican II, but the church and college uh, governmental side had actually gone gone back to the Council of Trent, and the student body was quite enlightened. I lived abroad for a long time. And, um, well, not for a long time, but at various times living abroad. So I didn't really have an agent here. And then I heard about um, a new thing called a cooperative agency. And it was called Castaway. So I said, that sounds like a great idea. I wrote to them and they took me on. And I've been with them ever since with a few more breaks for foreign travel and stuff like that. 
but um, it works very well. It suits me um, because I like knowing what's going on and being a co-op is one of the surefire ways of knowing pretty much everything that's going on, whether you're being seen for it or not. But it's very egalitarian. Great membership. I've been over 23 years. I came to college to learn English and uh, met John, my husband, and I stayed. And then I got a job in Fair City and then it's all started. But I'm an actress. I trained in Moscow uh, Drama College for five years as a theatre actress. So. Picasso was once asked when was a painting finished and he said when the gentleman from the gallery comes to hang it and when you write a radio play it's only really finished when the uh, director and the producer prize the script from your hand because you're always uh, worrying at it and French polishing it but it, it, it actually because the play is a blast of anger it was actually quite quick to write but then you're always sort of rewriting and rewriting and trying to hone down to the emotional depth within those characters and also those characters surprise you. So in each draft, so the first draft is about wanting and then more layers come into other drafts. It's a very strong piece, which has also got like, it's got lots of, of low, soft elements to it, but there is a an explosive moment. And it's not just that, actually. The, yeah, there is a journey within the play, but also there is a feeling of um, something new being said. And it's, I'm not going to give it away too much, but like there is an element in it that you're sort of going, oh, right, I haven't really seen, this is a story we've heard a lot about. And these are, you know, this is a relationship we know a lot about in Ireland in the last, whatever, 20 years. But this is a new, feels new, a new take on this, where what if such and such a thing happened and it happens in this play. And that's where another story starts, because a great bunch of, of, of chaps older than me did a production of Waiting for Godot. Uh, in the in the in the in the in the, in the hall in the uh, the aula, and I remember coming out of that production, and I can remember the word that came into me. I felt my brain was unravelled or unravelling, just all, all the all the games in the in the, in that play. And uh, years later, I think about twelve years later, after some travels in Europe and some time spent in London, and some time you know translating and building and factory working and stuff. I think I was in a pub. I think I was in the Long Valley in Cork, Humphrey Moynihan's pub. And some students I'd met there said, uh, do you want to be in a play? I said, what play? I said, Waiting for Godot. I said, yes. And I didn't ask what part because it was the play in all the world to me. And I was delighted to be in it. So that's how, that's how at the time I was living in the country, I had become, I had become a sort of a, a homesteader in, uh, in West Cork. But I guess I was, I was gravitating back to... Uh, to, to, to city life, that's what I was doing in the, in the Long Valley. I did at Samuel Beckett Theatre. That's how I started. I, I got uh, two parts in Samuel Beckett Theatre. We played um, both soprano, Ionesco, and I played, uh, I played maid in both soprano. And I, I, we played um, government inspector, Gogol, Russian play. So it was all done in Samuel Beckett. So I was there for, for a year doing plays. And nothing else. Oh, no, I did vagina monologues in the academy. It's in O'Connell Street. I did that show. That's it. First professional production was A Phoenix Too Frequent by Christopher Fry. And it was performed in the Listowel Writers Week. Now, it was either the first or the second 
I can't remember, it was very far back, it was a very new festival at the time. And so it went on in List Hole and then later did a little run in the project. Writing is a complicated business because the characters that you begin with are not the characters that you end with. And so you must leave yourself open to them taking off in directions. And very often in Mon Coffee, the characters, the outburst of anger of the character really surprised me. The actual revelation of his wife really surprised me. And in some ways, uh, these phantoms of my imagination exist in my subconscious and my job is to sit there and let them come out and express themselves and, in as much as possible, not get in their way. Fox Trousers, as a name, is actually from the first poem in the collection, which is about when you lie in bed in the countryside thinking that if you were outside you could be with all the, the people going out to play at night, meaning, so in this case, it's like the badgers pulling on their coats and the fox trousers and, you know, so it's a, it's a metaphor for um, fear of missing out, basically. <laughs> that was the mid-80s. I've been acting since then. So uh, everybody gradually left Cork uh, in a couple of years, um, came to Dublin or London or whatever. So I came to Dublin and uh, that's where I've been. I wasn't what's known as a charter member because I didn't, I wasn't there for the creative process of setting it up. But they were still taking applications. They wanted a broad age, age range. And um, I've sort of been the older woman from the very beginning. <laughs> I did I did this uh, big uh, script writing course during COVID. It was six months of learning how to write scripts. Yeah, Alexander Malchanov. His name is, he's a famous script writer. So he started as a writer, then moved to de- detective stories, then moved to script writing. But he obviously studied, it's a special course in Russia. And uh, then moved to TV, because best money for TV serials. Now they, they like, like a factory of this uh, TV series they make. But he loves detectives, detectives and... Uh, so he teaches us how to write in the present tense, never do the past or never, never don't write like um, novels because people who read the script, they need to see what's going on. You can't just say he thought that she, no, nothing. He said he went, he stood up, he left very kind of, so I felt very like kind of this man energy in the script, but I learned it. I hated it. So, so he did, he taught me through tears twice a week, giving out to me nonstop, like giving out never going to work. I need praise, but it's not my thing. I, I, I like to write little stories. I'm much more like, um, um, I like literature. Script is very uh, structured. It's not. It's. I think men should write script. Uh, my writing day is very, very boring because I think that poems. I write poems as well, and poems need to mug you when you're walking your dog or shopping in Tesco or do or anything else. Whereas, uh, to me, being a playwright and being a novelist is like having uh, an imaginary bed and breakfast in your imagination, and you must be open every day except Christmas Day at certain times and. If the phantoms of your imagination want to come in and wipe their feet, they can book a room and they can actually live these alternative lives. And in some ways, you must be there. And not everything happens every day, but you need to be there every day to allow those things to happen in a way that with a hotel, you're not sure guests will arrive, but you've got to be there in case they are. 
I find writing poetry is really more not so much about a mugging, but about things that you just go, I have to write this. I have to write about this. So even this morning, like in studio with Damien Chanel, we were talking about something and, and and even like the idea of being making special effects of something, putting sound effects onto something um, is it can be poetic. So I was literally writing down words this morning going, I haven't got to write a poem about this. So, you know, they happen. Ha- poems happen in the most um, surprising places. I've- colleague and friend is in the process of writing a play. I'm getting very excited about that now because she asked me if I would consider being in it and indeed help with the, I think she's got the first draft done now and um, just to help a little bit with the development of it see how it's going and I think I'm doing that next week sometime which is very exciting and I'm looking forward to that but I don't know what it's about and if I did my lips would be sealed anyway. I get offered always normally cleaners or escort escort agencies sluts yeah nowadays i start to become like oligarch wives who are thick as you know but beautiful uh, so it's kind of moving on from escort agency to wives which is more you know serious status but normally it's just not good i'm used to it you know work is work but there is much more to Russian women than cleaning and having sex. <laughs> I promise you. But then again, what else is there for women? <laughs> I want the sound effects in this play to be subtle because we're not anywhere amazing. We're in a farmhouse, but I don't want it to be full of ticking clocks and barking dogs and all of that. It's got to be uh, the, the, the strength of the words is what carries you through this play. Um, so uh, it wasn't a huge, there's not a huge amount and I'm, I'm trying to pull back rather than forward in terms of, of adding in. So there is in, in the main kind of unexpected scene, there's a lot of sound effect. Um, but really, other than that, this is about a life, a life between an elderly couple who have been actually getting on fine and they didn't really need the car to pull into the yard. Oh, the business has been very good to me, giving me many lovely memories, uh, mainly memories, actually. <laughs> yeah, pulling my leg here. No, the business has made me fabulously wealthy and, and famous. Um, <laughs> I hope the business starts again soon, Kevin, you know, and uh, everything gets back to normal. I've, I've memory, I've, 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 I've many, uh, many lovely memories of, uh, of being here in the studio, doing, doing Dromi Gaelge and other radio plays, watching Sean O'Brien ruthlessly edit a place sitting on that stairs over there, tearing pages out and saying, go and have a coffee and we'll do it when you come back. <laughs> Poor Sean, yeah. He used to call me a failed academic, a failed priest and a failed actor. <laughs> I never told anyone that before. Well, I probably embellished that. And in that edition of In the Wings, we heard from writer Dermot Bulger, director Ethna Hand, Actors Dunica Crowley, Helen Roach and Tatiana Uliankina. They were discussing Dermot's play Morning Coffee, which is next week's drama on one. In the Wings was produced by Kevin Reynolds. You can listen to the full versions of all In the Wings episodes at rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. Sundays at 8pm. rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one.